You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to the 5-Minute Recap, a quick, concise overview of each event of the WSL's championship tour. Today, I will recap the Oi Rio Pro in Brazil. The 5-Minute Recap is supported by Fanatic.com. It's a fin rental program, similar to the concept of Netflix. You create a queue on their website, and then they will mail fins to your house. Single fins, twins, thrusters, quads, futures, FCS, rainbow, all the fins from all the key brands, all of the shipping back and forth is included for your $10 a month. You can buy fins from them for cheaper than you're used to. It's really a no-brainer. Uh, you could use our promo code to support this show, and you'll also get your first month free. That promo code is PODCAST. Fanatic.com, promo code PODCAST. And without further ado, the five-minute recap. Start your clocks now. The 2018 Oi Rio Pro is the single greatest Brazil WCT event we have ever seen, certainly in internet streaming history, and this is a confluence of three factors, the waves, the athlete performances, and the decision about where and when to run, made by Deputy Commissioner Travis Logie. The event ran at three different locations, Barinha being the spot where the highest scores were rewarded. The importance of running at this location cannot be overstated. Firstly, it was a risky choice. The decision to run men's round one was made the evening prior to it starting, which required a large staff to work through the entire night to physically move the event site. Thankfully, the choice paid off as the waves at Barinha are, in a word, exciting. It's a barreling right-hander with big air sections, and that's actually the second reason that this decision was important. Excitement. Believe it or not, it's 2018 and we're on a precipice, faced with a real concern that competitive surfing is boring. With a repetitive, literally mechanical wave on tour this year, a judging criteria that's traditionally rewarded safety surfing, and big-moneyed contracts encouraging athletes and commentators to avoid controversy, professional surfing has, or maybe it had, become almost unrecognizable from the original unadulterated act of surfing itself. But alas, head judge Pratamo Arendt has righted the judging panel, rewarding risk and progression. The WSL has opened new venue options within each tour stop, and gratefully, Deputy Commissioner Travis Logie seized the opportunity and allowed the male athletes anyways the best playing field to showcase their talents. Now, if Trav Logie deserves praise for his decisions on the men's side, his decisions on the women's side deserve equal scrutiny and perhaps even ridicule. I'm not sure if their event site was the athletes' preferences or if they were just dealt second priority and forced to surf marginal conditions, but either way, their opportunities to get barreled were non-existent and mushy shoulders were far more common than critical sections. Round one of the women's event ran at Atuna in soft, fat, waist-high lefts, some of which the women surfed well, 
but the surf was akin to what we more commonly see on the QS level and not that exciting. And it was a very stark contrast to the waves that the men had on offer. Round three of the women's event finally brought some head high surfed and rippable waves. It also brought the highest heat score of the entire event, a 15.9 by Silvana Lima in round three. This is important to note. 15.9 was the highest heat total of the entire women's event. Silvana, her best scoring ride was actually an 8.9, ostensibly scored for just one highly critical maneuver. It was a lip line, upside down, float on nearly a double overhead wave, kind of an oncoming section. Again, risk was rewarded. The opportunities, however, for the women to showcase risk were less available as the contest progressed and they surfed a diminishing swell. Ultimately, it was Lakey Peterson who met Stephanie Gilmore in the final, both of whose strongest attributes through the entire event was flow and transition between multiple maneuvers, combos, not single large maneuvers. Consistently connecting two or three maneuvers with great flow earned them first and second place. However, not a single wave nor maneuver from this entire event will make the end of the year highlight reel. This is something for the judges, or perhaps more importantly, the commissioners to consider. That said, the athletes also need to consider risking something. It's boring to see competitors attempt to surf incrementally better than their opponents. When given the opportunity, throw caution to the wind. Everyone is ready and waiting, especially the judges. In the men's event, I mentioned Barinha being exciting. That's true, but in round three, there were a lot of closeouts. So they moved round four over to Atuna, where the women ran their event, but they but the men scored larger surf. And the key benefit of this location is that it just offers a more fair distribution of waves. So especially in the three-man heats of round four, everybody got an opportunity. Felipe Toledo, however, nearly negated the importance for a good wave, as his most memorable wave of the entire event was on a marginal left. I was confused why he even took off on the wave in the first place, and then why he continued somewhat lazily cruising down the line. It was because off-screen he had spotted an air section, one from which he punted an absolutely massive full rotation, 360-degree rotation, Tons of loft, tons of speed, covering more distance than I've ever seen covered in the air. He scored a 10-point ride and set the pace for what no one would be able to catch throughout the rest of the entire event. He reestablished his reign as the world's most exciting surfer, temporarily mantled by Idolo Ferrer. He also reminded us that he's never abandoned his position as, as the world's fastest surfer, especially in transition between maneuvers. In his post-heat interviews, he was gracious, humble, positive. He seemed very comfortable, comfortable with the attention, comfortable with the pressure, and confident with his ability. This could be reflective of the fact that Barinha is his home break, but if it's more reflective of his general headspace, then he's poised for a world title campaign. He went on to win the event against Wade Carmichael in spectacular fashion, again, back at Barinha, weaving and soul arching through barrels, doing massive turns and giant airs. This win catapults Felipe into second position, bumping Idolo off of his tied first place position and down to third place. Their compatriot, Gabriel Medina, on the other hand, looked shockingly uncomfortable at his home event. Gabriel, one of whom's defining features is not falling, fell a tremendous amount in this event. 
He repeatedly fell, not only on big risky airs, but on simple top turns too. As a testament to his talent, however, he still made the quarterfinals. Although you could argue that he shouldn't have won his heat in round three against Mikey Wright, but notably in his quarterfinal heat against Wade Carmichael at barreling offshore Barinha, Gabriel netted a 3.63 heat total. 3.63 points total. Losing to Wade Carmichael, who had a very beatable 11.4 heat total. All that said, this quarterfinal finish still moves Gabe up three spaces in the ranking into fourth position. Equally disappointing was current world champ John John Florence with his eight-point heat total in round four loss at Ituna. That's after a spectacular performance, however, in round three. And again, exciting surf at Barinha, where he did an air that will remain on the year-end highlight reel. Sadly, this ninth-place finish for John John Florence is his best of the year, and he sits in 17th position going into Bali. A couple of athletes worth mentioning because this might be the last time that they receive mention throughout the year on this podcast is last year title contender Jordy Smith, who continues his streak of 13ths and now sits in 25th position. Kelly Slater is yet to surf an event this year. Matt Wilkinson is sitting in 28th place with a string of 25ths. And one continually exciting storyline throughout this season is the Rookie of the Year race. Perennial standout Griffin Colapinto finally showed a weakness, albeit a minor one, when he lost in a closely contested battle with friend and sparring partner Kanoa Igarashi. He now sits in 12th place behind fellow rookies Michael Rodriguez in 7th and then Wade Carmichael, who again finaled and climbed 11 spots all the way into the 5th position on the rankings. Another important thing to note is that the previously canceled Margaret River Pro will resume with round three at Uluwatu within 48 hours after the end of the Corona Bally Pro. Griffin Colapinto and Wade Carmichael are already out of that event, so Michael Rodriguez is still in it. He'll face Idolo Ferrer in round three, so he'll have the opportunity to improve his position. Regarding the title race, Obviously, Idolo is still in that event, as are Julian Wilson, John John Florence, Felipe Toledo, and Gabriel Medina. So they'll all likely improve their position on the rankings. Lots of shuffling to come. Julian Wilson entered the season with a shoulder injury. He decided to compete in the Gold Coast event the night before the event started, even though he had that injury, and he went on to win the event. He also entered Brazil in first position. He lost to Felipe in the semifinals and thereby exits Brazil still wearing that Jeep leader's jersey and uh, maintaining first place. Stephanie Gilmore also does the same on the women's side, stretching out her lead with her second win of the season. Lakey Peterson has been absolutely having a banner season coming off of an injury in 2017. She won snapper, finaled in Brazil. Her performances really would have her winning at almost any other season, but Steph's not having any of it. Very gratefully, the women will be competing at Karamas at the Corona Bali Pro, so hopefully they'll be offered critical and challenging surf, and again, exciting surf. Although the canceled Margaret River Pro was the previous championship tour event prior to Brazil, the WSL did run the Founders Cup in the interim between those two events held in the wave pool at Surf Ranch. The event highlighted the engineering marvel of the wave and how fun it would be to surf, but 
as we watched the exact same wave peel down the concrete pool ad nauseum, it also highlighted the importance of unpredictability. And almost as if scripted, one short week later, Brazil confirmed the importance of that very sentiment. The event opened with an unexpected commentary team, Brad Brickle and Chris Cote, an unexpected commissioner, Travis Logie, and an unexpected new venue, Barinha. And subsequently, every single wave required a spontaneous reaction from its writer. And thankfully, many of the athletes, most notably Felipe Toledo, delivered beyond what our imaginations could anticipate. The Oi Rio Pro was, in a word, exciting. In two words, it was unexpected and exciting. So congratulations to the WSL for an excellent event. I will see you all in Bali. Was that more than five minutes yet again? All right, don't forget fanatic.com, promo code podcast. Thanks. See you in Bali.